Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, founders, and thank you for listening. Today, I'm speaking with David Bagdasarian, CEO and founder of Chris, a voice productivity platform that's raised 19 million in funding. David, thanks for chatting with me today. Hey, thanks, Brett. I'm really excited to be here. Can we just kick off with maybe a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm originally from Armenia. I've spent 10 years in Silicon Valley, and uh, I'm an engineer by training. So I've spent like 15, over 15 years of doing software engineering, security engineering. And then I turned into a, a CEO and co-founder when, you know, uh, when, when starting Crisp together with my co-founder, Artyo. That was back in 2017. But before that, yeah, did a lot of engineering and that's my passion. What was it like when you first came to Silicon Valley? Can you take us back to those early days? Yeah, absolutely. I was very excited, actually. I was excited. I had like, it, it was a sort of like an American dream type of feeling. <laughs> But then I, when I when I came in, I I realized that it's not like it like in the movies. <laughs> so uh, it's it's pretty much like very similar to other places. But there is an opportunity to actually uh, learn and eventually create your own thing. I think a lot of people can come like that, but then they settle because Silicon Valley is good at giving you comfort. But like it's that's a trap, right? You need to avoid that trap and pursue your dream. I think that's what I ended up doing. I, I worked at a lot of very cool companies. You know, I worked at Twilio for three years, went public with them, so learned a lot, great, great deal of things at Twilio. But then, you know, at some point, I, I met my future co-founder, and I was very inspired. So that sort of brought me back to my back to the dream of building big things, right? Yeah, but I'm very fortunate to be, you know, to happen to be in Silicon Valley. When it comes to inspiration for you, what founder would you say has inspired you the most? Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a tough question. I, I think like, you know, it's, it's hard to be inspired remotely and <laughs> just watching others. I think it always comes down to who you work with. And uh, the, the founder of Twilio, Jeff Lawson, like was a big inspiration. I spent there, as I said, like three years. And one thing I, I really liked about Jeff is like one particular thing was how he was doing like internal communication, right? how much effort and, you know, craftsmanship was, he was adding to like, to the old hands. And it was like, in a sense, it was quite shocking for me in the beginning, but it's something that I took very seriously when, when we started Chris. And I think like Jeff's background was like he was i don't know if he majored in filmmaking or not but he was he was really good at that. like he would put like videos and you know show that you know Twilio is the underdog and like we need to work and so on like, i even like remember till now like all hands that we did i don't know 10 years ago so that was very inspirational i also like uh, a couple of others like aaron Levy from box like i, I like his tweets I haven't met him. I haven't met him, but his tweets are quite genius uh, from time to time. So I follow him. And also like Brian Chesky's communication, uh, storytelling. So the three of them I would mention. 
Yeah, Brian Chesky is such a good storyteller. That whole story from the early days of Airbnb where they were selling those boxes of cereal, that's like going to be the ultimate startup story for the entire history of startups, I think. It's very hard to beat that story. Yeah, and he keeps doing that, right? I was just watching another like interview with him. That was very inspirational as well. So I think he's just great at that. <laughs> yeah, 100% agree. What about books? Yeah, this can be a business book or a personal book, but if you had to choose one book that's really had a major influence on who you are, what would that book be? I think about this a lot. So there are a lot of books actually that I love. Yeah, like they are mostly business books that I read recently. Look, given like how your question has been framed, I think the one that stands out is there was a book I actually haven't read but listened to. It's it's called Shantaram. Shantaram. Basically, it's by Gregory Roberts, and it's a fiction book. So I would say, like, it, it sort of guides me in my life. But like, I, when I listened to that book, I was so into it. I, I thought that like this, this is just gonna be my book of my life, right? And when I think about it and try to analyze why, I think it's just the realism in the book. So it's it's about a guy who goes from Australia to India and tries to build his life there. There is a lot of drama, fights, you know, love and, and everything. So it's just like how grounded the book is. I think it just relates to me very well. I'm a very grounded person as well. Yeah, that's the book I would mention. There are many others as well, but this is, this. I think that's like forever going to stay with me. Yeah, I've not read that book yet, but I'll add it to my list here right after we get off the call. That definitely sounds like a fun read. Yeah, yeah, please do it. It's a long one, but it's worth it. How long are we talking here? Is it like a thousand page book? Maybe I've, uh, maybe I got too excited there. I don't remember it's many hours because I haven't listened to it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I would imagine like five, six hundred pages at least. Okay. So a medium like, but yeah, that's the downside yeah. of this podcast. Yeah. I talk to so many awesome founders like yourself every day is I end up with this like endless list of books. I have you know, probably five or 10 new books coming in every week and I uh, I can't keep up with them. And every book that I'm told, you know, does sound or most books sound like fun reads. So at some point I need to like block off three months and just go and read all these books. Yeah, that's the problem with talking to founders because they are often, they are good storytellers. So if you ask for a book, they're going to make you want to read their books. <laughs> so it's a tough place to be. A hundred percent. Now let's switch gears and let's dive a bit deeper into the company and, and how we'd like to start this part of the interview is really talking about the problem you solve. So what problem does Crisp solve? Yeah, sure. So Crisp is mostly known for its noise cancellation technology. We have pioneered for like AI powered noise cancellation tech. Like before that, you, if you wanted to remove noise from like calls like this, you would need to have, you know, multiple microphones on your device. What we did, we used machine learning that was like six years ago to train neural networks that would understand what's background noise and separate it from human voice, right? And we were quite successful with this. Like we have the best technology out there. We have huge deployments of this technology across many segments. Uh, but overall, like we have expanded our sort of purpose and like we, the category we are in right now, we call it voice productivity. So everything that makes voice conversations more productive is the that category we are in, right? So we have expanded our technology to technologies to accent localization. So basically trying to remove the barrier of accent. 
in uh, in business, right? So in real time, it uh, translates your accent to the listener's accent to improve understanding and comprehension. And we have also expanded our technology, our product to do like meeting notes, meeting summaries, generate action items, and so on. So we are in a phase where we are expanding our product significantly. And um, yeah, I would describe it as a voice productivity product. Take us back to 2017 when you were first founding the company. What was that aha moment that you had to say, yep, that's it. I'm going to go build a company around this. Yeah, great question. So I was with Twilio at that time, and I was often traveling to Armenia where I'm from. So uh, Armenia, you know, time zone, it's like usually evening hours when there is morning in SF. So I would join my morning calls with my teammates. And if you're in Armenia, you know, in the summer, you don't want to be at home, right? You want to be outside. And I was always struggling because there is noise outside. I was thinking like, okay, uh, can AI solve this problem or not, right? And then I met my co-founder, Artyo, and like when I shared this idea, he, he really got excited about this because of his background in, you know, digital signal processing, math. And uh, so we, at some point, we decided to give this a try, right? And um, so like there is a, it's a very personal story for me. And a lot of things actually, we build at Crisp, there is a personal side to it which makes our life easier than building a product. Hmm. And how have you seen it change then since 2017? What are kind of like the, the big evolutions for the company since you launched? Sure. Well, look, like when we just started, we thought we will be a technology like vendor to bigger companies like Zooms of the world, right? And like, so that was the mindset with, that we had. So the first pivotal moment or like a big change in the company was that, hey, we said like, hey, you know what? Let's build an app rather than be a technology vendor, right? And that that was a big like DNA change because you, if you're building an app, you have you need like different kind of people in your team, you need a different kind of mindset. You need to possess different kind of tools and knowledge and so on. So that took us more than a year to make this transition. Like we still you know, integrate and license our technologies, our crisp technologies embedded inside Discord, you know, Twilio, uh, Ring Central, and, and other like awesome services out there. But we also have our app, which anyone in the world can download and use. And so we have these two things going on right now, which is quite exciting, actually. Was it hard for you to leave Twilio? I know you're head of product security there. Obviously, it's you know, a great position at a, at a great company. Was that hard to to leave? And what were those conversations like with your colleagues, friends, and family? Did they think you were just out of your mind or did everyone get it and understand it right away? Yeah, that's a really good question. So when I think back during those times, uh, I and I think like, was I supposed to be a co-founder of a company or not? I often think that I was not thinking that I'm going to be like a CEO of a company at, at one point. But then things just turned into like, like I, I think after I met Artyo, my co-founder, and, I, and then I met some of the future sort of researchers at CRISP, that decision took me like a week, actually. I was like, okay, like this is something I need to do. Like, there is no way around this. Like this is, I mean, there, it's a big risk. And I was actually, I had a lot of stock options at Twilio that were, were worth like lot of money, I'm like really a lot of money. So I had to give that up, right? But 
like that decision was so clear for me, right? Like it has a vision and it turned out to be a good decision. So yeah, like it took me a week to make this decision. And, and Twilio was actually, my colleagues were supportive because, you know, like I still love Twilio. I love the culture of Twilio. I'm a big fan of that company. And, um, when I was talking about this, I said like, there is probably no other company I will go to. It's just like, it's, it's, it's amazing. So anyway, uh, there was a lot of support and Twilio is, is a customer today. Actually, Twilio is also investing to Crisp, which was amazing. So yeah, it took me like a, a week to make this decision. And thinking back, that's not usually me, but yeah, when, when this is an interesting part of my life. Hmm. Super interesting. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. How long did it take in your journey to really feel like you had yet reached product market fit? Did that happen right away? Did it take a year, two years, three years? You know, when did you really start to feel like there was strong demand for the product and you got product market fit, right? Yeah, very good question. So as I said, like originally we thought that we'll be a technology supplier, right? And we were, when we were talking to companies like Zoom, actually, we talked to Zoom as well. You know, like one thing that I really didn't like is the pace, right? So like one concept I have in, as an entrepreneur is that when you start a company, you don't want to have a lot of dependencies on others, right? On your customers or whoever it is on the market. Like you want to be the ultimate owner of the destiny that you have because you have, you must have such a pace, like such a speed. And others might not have that. So like we constantly were getting like a pushback because, you know, trying to integrate like a voice AI technology back in 17, 18 into like a voice infrastructure, which is a critical infrastructure was, was really hard and difficult and people were not highly incentivized to do that. So that's, that's what actually triggered us to like, you know what, we need to go directly to the customer. Like, and in, just, in the same time, when we were talking to anyone and we were showing our demos, they would be like, oh, wow, I would use that just the consumers. Right. So we thought, okay, let's, let's go and build a product, an app. And uh, there was a lot of innovation, how we actually got to the, cause you know, people like our users directly, like we created this virtual microphone, virtual speaker thing, which was not really a thing. Today, it's a thing. There are a lot of companies and be, like, real businesses that operate like in that architecture, but we have actually innovated that. So it wasn't really easy to go through this path. And, and also it wasn't easy because we were creating a new technology. Like we have invested the first two years of just doing research. We didn't even know whether we can productize this technology, even if it's possible or not. So we started the company in 2017 and the first launch was 2019 and again like we, we didn't know if anyone will buy this product or not and then like people started buying we didn't definitely didn't feel pmf yet but when covid started actually it, you know it was very timely for us so we did a deal with Discord right away and then like a lot of people just came in and started buying chris because they they had to go home and you know there were a lot of noise at home there was basically no solution to that and Chris was the only solution uh, there. So COVID played as a huge accelerator to our PMM. 
What was it like for you transitioning from these technical roles into being a founder and, and more specifically on the marketing side? As I was preparing for this interview, I was going through your website and the messaging is just amazing. It's very clear. It's very crisp uh, to tie back to your name. Yeah, very clear, very crisp messaging. The marketing is very well done and just seems like you've really, you really know what you're doing from a marketing perspective. But did you always know how to do marketing or how did you go about learning marketing as you transitioned out of the product security role? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely not. Like, so for a long time, we were struggling with this. But look, when you are very early founder, I think, or company startup, I'm sorry, I think the more important thing is not like marketing, but how do you stand out? I had to ask the question. And I think a lot of founders don't realize this. Like, how do you stand out from all the, like, how do you make so that people notice you, right? And we did, like, things that are creative, like, we were highly successful on Product Hunt, we were highly successful on Hacker News, right? Things like those, which I don't know if it's, you know, if we can call it marketing or not, it, it, it's some sort, but it's, it's really about standing out, right? That's the, like the most important job you need to do in the beginning. But then, of course, uh, you need to learn marketing and do it. And like, if you are fortunate enough, you will have someone in the team, like a co-founder or early employee that has that experience. We did not have that. So we, we started like learning that very, in a very hard way, like me and my co-founder. We went, we did a lot of mistakes down the road. But you know, one thing we were very successful at was SEO, right? So SEO is super important for any, I think, startup. Like it's, you know, so you start investing in this, it's, you know, it, and it takes like a year at least to pay, starting pay off. But Crisp has, a, has been very successful with SEO. Our site rank is, is very high, but we did also a lot of things with that, like miserably failed, right? And today we have like a, like marketing team, we, we solved that problem at the company in a sense of expertise, hiring the right people and so on. But like, yeah, early days were tough for us. A lot of mistakes. You mentioned things that failed there. What was your biggest failure, would you say, so far? Well, uh, I can say in marketing. So we, we were thinking that Crisp is like very similar to Grammarly uh, as a concept. That's so what, what Grammarly does for writing, Crisp was doing for speaking. And we were inspired by their growth strategy, which was, you know, paid marketing. So we have done a lot of experiments. We have burned a lot of money, uh, but it just failed. It didn't work for us. Like that's, I think, from a marketing perspective, that was at least the, like, the most costly uh, failure. But definitely not the biggest failure for the company, but from a marketing perspective, for sure. I think like one, I won't say failure, it's just like one thing that made Crisp's journey I think more difficult than in many other companies is that we started with a technology rather than product, right? And in some sense, it's good. It's like deep tech. It's, you know, it's exciting. People invest it probably easier because it's, you know, it has a, at least like it's difficult to replicate and things like those. But finding like eventually, if you're a product company, you need to find it. You know, you need to be a product company, right? And technology is just a, a small piece of it. So it took us a lot of time, a lot of struggle to figure out like, what is it? Like, what is that product or that platform that we are building? So what's the vision of the company? And um, that was tough. I don't intend to say it's a failure, but it was just very, very tough. Makes a lot of sense there. 
Now let's talk about market category a little bit here. So I know we've mentioned this term voice productivity a little bit. Is that your market category or how do you think about your market category? Yeah, so that's what we are creating actually. We are creating a new category called voice productivity. And what's interesting about Chris is that this is the second category we are creating. The first one actually was noise called is called noise cancellation software, which has been recognized by G2 as a separate category. We were like so happy about when when it happened. But look, like frankly speaking, it's it's pretty obvious that just like noise cancellation cannot be a sustainable category by its own, right? And when we keep thinking about like what's our mission, which goes like this, like we are maximizing voice productivity in online business conversations, right? So it's it's really about voice productivity and everything we do in the company is around that. So currently uh, we are in a process of creating this category. And yeah, it's, it's actually a fun process. What were some of the lessons that you learned along the way as you were creating that first category? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think like it's pretty obvious that I don't think I'll say anything new here, but like when you're creating a new, like the good thing about it is that you can lead this category, right? When, you, when you're successful at creating it. But the bad news is that it's, it's way more expensive because you need to first explain the problem and explain the solution, understand the pain and, and explain the pain and all of that. So it's, it's really hard. And what really helped, uh, I, I think COVID definitely accelerated this for us. Like when we think about back to COVID times, like we don't know what the trajectory of this company and that category would be if COVID didn't happen, right? So whether we would be successful by creating that, uh, I guess it would be like quite expensive to do that. But also like one thing I would, would definitely mention is that Chris, the like word of mouth of Chris was so strong, right? That uh, that helped us way, way, you know, a, a lot as well. So like uh, basically people like our users, customers did it for us. Can you give us an idea of the type of growth and adoption that you've seen? Yeah, of course. So CRISP has been deployed on over like 200 million devices, right? Through wow. our, yeah, to our app, through our integrations. And the majority of these requirements is actually through the integrations through the companies like Discord, Twilio and others. But this, this number is, is growing. Like yeah, we are probably processing more than like 80 billion minutes of conversations every, every month. Right. So that's, that's like a big, these are big numbers. And look, like when we started the company, we knew that at some point uh, noise cancellation is is going to become a commodity, and like uh, we we thought it will actually happen earlier, but I wouldn't say it happened yet. So probably like for another two to four years, we'll you know noise can- we will grow through noise cancellation. We pretty steadily. You can imagine like call centers in other places where this is a high you know value pain. So, um, and like we have a lot of traction there and so on. And we have the call centers where, you know, Crisp is deployed to over 40,000 of their agents or associates. That's how it's called. Uh, anyway, so that will grow. But uh, clearly, uh, the new innovation that we have been making in the last three years, like that's the next wave of our growth. That's the technology that I mentioned earlier, the accent localization. Again, like very important for call centers. Uh, all these, uh, you know, meeting sort of summary action item, action items, and 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 how do you 
make your meetings more productive. All, all this is going to be a big market, and that's all. That's where our next wave of growth is going to be. As I mentioned there in the intro, you've raised nineteen million to date. What have you learned about fundraising throughout this journey? Yeah, you know, like uh, one of the interesting things about me and I actually well, my co-founder as well is that we have a tiny VC that we run in parallel. We have been doing this for two years. It's just really small. Like we, we do like early checks into new companies that have like Armenian co-founders. It's a, it's a way of giving back to the community and also, um, yeah, like uh, drive the ecosystem in Armenia. Uh, anyway, so we learned about investing probably more to that platform than like raising through crisp. And one thing that I keep thinking about is that like over time at when I, when I was raising for crisp, I started realizing that FOMO is really important uh, for investors, right? And then over time, I started realizing that it's actually that notion becoming more important and important in, in my perception. So that that like this is really important. Like creating FOMO is really important for investors from an investor's perspective. But now on the other side, when I am an investor, when I'm investing in startups, I realize that it is the most important thing. So FOMO, I think, drives majority of investments, right, from VC perspective. And so like the I don't know if it's an advice or not, but yeah, if you if you are able to create FOMO, your ability to raise becomes significantly easier. Now that's not easy. That's not, I'm not saying it's easy or you should create it artificially, but that like, it's pretty much a no brainer for me that, that it works, it's real, right? Let's imagine that you were starting the company again today from scratch, based on everything you've learned so far, what would be the number one piece of advice you'd give yourself? Sure, sure. So, uh, yeah, look, like thinking back on like who I was, I was you know, like an engineer who has been creating products and technologies for over 15 years before starting CRISP, right? So a lot of competency in engineering, uh, but you know, one thing I realized over time is that when you are engineer technologist, like often you are more excited about technology than like the real, you know, customer pain. So, and like thinking and understanding the pain, like this framework where you need to assess the pain and the way to assess the customer pain is to think about the alternative solution that they have today, right? And if the alternative works, then the pain is not going to be high, right? And so the more mature the alternative is and the, the way you can sort of, the more you can understand the ROI of that. So like convert that into dollar value and understand how big that pain is, is really, really important because Otherwise, you might just have a, like a very wrong understanding of the world, right? They keep building something that has a low pain. It's so hard to sell something that is that has low pain. I think like this is like the biggest realization for me as a technologist. And the, I think the other idea is that hey, like really from day one, it's best to think like product or platform vision, right? Like if you started a company. Like even if it's a technology company, like definitely start like you know, like when you construct your vision, do it around the product rather than a technology. So like these these two sort of things that I learned hard way. Final question for you. Let's zoom out three to five years into the future. What's the big picture vision that you're building here? 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, like we are like building a voice productivity platform, right? So like we are, as I said, our vision is to maximize voice productivity in business calls. So anything like there are a lot of uh, pains in the world, right? So like the accent barrier that I just mentioned, the language barrier, like think about it. Like we have been, like voice has been the most important communication form for humans from, you know, from the dawn of time. <laughs> And uh, so there is really no technology to help us to be more productive, right? And AI, AI definitely has that capacity. So we are laser focused on, you know, building these, you know, high pain solving technologies and incorporating into our product, which is becoming, you know, a platform uh, today. So super, super excited about that. It took us time, but like super exciting time right now. Amazing. Well, we are up on time, so we'll have to wrap here. Before we do, if there's any founders that are just listening in and want to follow along with your journey, where should they go? Yeah, so I'm most active on LinkedIn. I, I wish I, I, I would be more active there, actually. But yeah, like I read Twitter a lot, but I'm like, I'm more like posting on LinkedIn. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, hey, this has been a lot of fun. I, I know our audience is going to enjoy the interview as well, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Brett. All right, keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. Oh,